0: And I think what you're going to ultimately see is you're going to see a much better brand top to bottom because I I think the fact that nobody threw the bagel up there this year or was 2-18 and 18 or something like that, I think that does count. People, people are talking about, well, Carolina just hasn't had a good year. Well, true to their standard and their expectation, but... When you look at it, you've seen some teams make some steps forward. Now, let's see what happens in the offseason and the, the 60 days after the season ends as to uh, transfer portals and all that and what the respect sure. is to um, to next year. I think the prospects are quite good right now, to be honest.
1: Welcome to an ACC podcast. I'm Lauren Brownlow, and we're, we did it. We made it to the last week. Of the regular season, the last set of games, the weekend games coming right up, and I'm really thrilled to have a very good friend of the podcast and of mine in real life, Wes Durham. I don't know that I need to give credentials for Wes. I mean, they're pretty. Everybody should know him, but ACC Network's own Packer and Durham, of course. Bless your heart. Uh, <laughs> you. <laughs> Hi,
0: Wes. Hey, Brownlow. How are you?
1: I'm great, and thanks so much for doing this. Um, I, I really wanted to get uh, get my credibility up here in this last weekend. You know, we we got to we got to get real serious and start looking at the conference races, all of the particular tiebreaker scenarios, which you know that I love. Um, we got a lot of coastal energy coming down the stretch of this ACC season. (laughs) Um, I am sad, though, that the idea of a five-way tie for last is now ruined since Virginia Tech won. So, again, thanks for nothing, Clemson. But, uh, (laughs) yeah, um, the five-way tie for last would have been the saddest tie um,
0: imaginable. But we lived through the five-way tie for last called the Coastal Division of Football for years.
1: Exactly. So it just... We
0: have, I mean, hang on a second. Didn't we have like two years ago where literally we went to like week 11 with a chance that there could be a six-way tire, seven-way tire at, at Coastal? At,
1: at four and four, yes. At four and
0: four. Okay. Just making oh. sure. That's all.
1: That's art. Uh, nobody (laughs) nobody does it like the coastal but uh, there's a lot of that weird energy in the league this year for sure but yeah now um, North Carolina has lost any shot of playing on Wednesday with Virginia Tech's win so really at this point they just have to hope Miami loses its last game and obviously Carolina would like to win its last game but at Duke will not be an easy task (laughs)
0: no and and the first game was so good um, in terms of just the nature of what Duke Carolina has become and it's funny I joke with people beyond the footprint of the league often because they hear that hey what's you know what's the deal on Duke Carolina? Is it really all that And then you know they they talk about people who um, you know the way ESPN promotes it certainly and the way we did in the old days of Raycom and the ACC network and I tell people rarely in sports do you hype something that then turns and delivers and Duke Carolina gets hyped for a reason because in the last decade, and you know this as well as I do, the matchups for the most part have been sensational and they've come down to some sort of dramatic element in the game in the last minute and a half, or even, you know, like the first meeting in overtime or at the end of regulation or, or what have you, there's so many things you can go back and, and look at it. Really, that's the that's the thing you look for in live sports is something you can count on. And right now, for the most part, knock on wood, we've been able to count on Duke Carolina delivering very compelling basketball.
1: Yeah, I was guilty when game day decided to go there for the first matchup of being like, why? Uh, this is not on paper going to be a very mm-hmm. good matchup. And you know, they shut me up (laughs) with the way that that game played out because that was one of the more epic games and certainly memorable finishes in that rivalry of which has had many. Um, I don't know that I anticipate it being quite so compelling this time around, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I've been surprised before and Cole Anthony is playing as well as he's played, uh, you know, since pre-injury at this point. He's really putting a lot of good games together, quality performances, efficient performances. And um, I, I hate to say this. We talked about this on the last episode, when I had Brendan Marks from The Athletic on, but it just mm-hmm. does seem like when, when Armando Baycott is not on the court, things flow a little bit better for them offensively because they have one fewer big man to sort of clog things up. Cole Anthony can operate a little better. Garrison Brooks can operate a little better. It just seems like things are flowing a little bit better in this small ball lineup, although they do give up some defensively with that.
0: Yeah, they do. And I think uh, against a team like Duke, it brings up a really interesting, uh, you know, kind of conundrum for Roy Williams because, as you know, Duke has stretch fours and hurt. They've got slashers and uh, obviously Stanley, perimeter guys, O'Connell, uh, defensive energy with Goldwire, wire. And so Carolina, you know, in order to be successful, you would have to surmise that at certain times, Carolina has to reset their lineup to match kind of what Duke does. Um, and then, and then you have this whole Duke and zone thing from Monday night that just caught everybody off guard. And you wonder, you know, kind of in the back of coach K's mind, is this just just a a rarity? Hey, I'm going to go play zone. Or is there some reality to what this team is that the zone lends itself to? And he's kind of had it in his back pocket for certain times during the year. I, I think there's a lot of outside stuff that it's always interesting when Duke and Carolina play. And then there's a lot of stuff that goes on the floor beyond the strategy of just the players and the kind of roles that they end up taking on. Um, You know, heroes have been written in this rivalry from a variety of different positions. And I think, you know, if the first one was any indication, Wendell Moore had the unbelievable play at the end you know i, I just kind of wait around on who's the next guy to step up and you know and do something in the Carolina Duke rivalry that uh, that leaves us going well you know there's his spot in those particular schools basketball history
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, not all zones are created equally. So that's Mm -hmm. the caveat you should throw out, obviously. But (laughs) Carolina has been a team that has managed to do pretty well against a zone, at least if the Syracuse zone was any indication. Well, and and that's
0: the thing, too, because what Duke did the other night against NC State was very... And I thought that Jay Billis calling Coach K Kahan was kind of interesting on the air because... (laughs) I missed um, that because I was there. It was hilarious. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And when he was with Mark and I later on uh, the next day, we started laughing about it, but it was an influence. And, and Jay pointed out, you know, all those years of USA basketball, invariably those two guys may have sit at a meal or something, and all of a sudden, next thing you know, the salt and pepper shakers are out, and the you know, whatever the sugar bowl is, the pivot or whatever the case may be. And, you know, Beheim's talking to Coach K about how their zone works, and I'm sure that a lot of it looked like it was Syracuse influence. Now, is it exactly to those specs? No, but – uh, it'll be interesting to see if we see it again um, and, and how it impacts the game, if it's Saturday night or if it's uh, maybe next week in Greensboro or maybe the following week in Greensboro. Who knows when we'll see Duke in the zone again.
1: Yeah, I mean, if Colt Anthony's getting to the basket with the kind of frequency that Markel Johnson was mm-hmm. early... You know, maybe you do see it. Um, who knows? But NC State has had its own problems against his zone this year. And I'm sure Kay, even though I know they didn't have much time in the turnaround, I'm sure Kay, you know, had seen that. That's, that state tends to get a little flummox against his zone, and probably said, well, it's as good a time as any to bring it out. And we can't stop him off the dribble. So, mm-hmm.
0: Exactly. <laughs> uh, in fact, I'm, I'm doing Wake at NC State on Friday night. And I fully expect Danny Manning to play zone, to be honest with you. Because yeah. if, if I've seen... When Florida, I had the Florida State game in Raleigh when Leonard Hamilton went zone, and obviously it worked. And now seeing it at Duke, I wouldn't be surprised if you know, Danny Manning may go there from Jump Street Friday night.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that they might do that. They played some of that against North Carolina, but it didn't really matter because Carolina was making mm. every every shot in sight. But, you know, and that, that speaks to, you know, again, they, they, they look better offensively in the small ball. That's always been true under Roy, no matter who's on the roster. But they also look worse defensively, and we saw that against Wake, too. And that's why Wake was kind of hanging around, really, until the end of that game. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so God. it'll be interesting.
0: Carolina is going to be very interesting, not only Saturday, they're going to be interesting next week because, and I went back and double-checked this and, and emailed Steve Kirsten just to make sure I was in the ballpark. Uh, the other night, the win for Wake Forest was just the sixth ACC game this year that featured Cole Anthony, Brandon Robinson, and Garrison Brooks on the floor at the same time. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that's unbelievable that it shows you really kind of how they're their development has uh and their continuity and chemistry and whatever other words you want to use here has really been stunted by just the you know the injuries and all the things that have happened with this particular Carolina team. And in some ways I think that's why it's kind of scary. If they're starting to come together now, maybe it was something we expected obviously much earlier in the year, but now if this is starting to happen you know they they could be they could be really really interesting in, in Greensboro starting on Tuesday for sure.
1: Yeah, they could be. I mean, it, it all is sort of matchup dependent. I think for them, mm-hmm. I I'd, you know I, I, that's been a topic around here, of course. But I think for me, I want to see what they've got on the other side. Um, and I want to see how they play on Saturday because that's not an easy atmosphere to play in. Um, and we've seen them anytime this season when there's starting to be good feelings around Carolina basketball, then all of a sudden, um, you know, they, they put in a clunker. I mean, with the way they played against Duke and then they go to Wake and they just played terribly um, right. and, and they can't. So if we, we we'll see if they can kind of string something together together. Um, and before I'm willing to just go say, yeah, they'll, they'll make a run. Um, uh,
0: and, and you know how they go, Mark, because you've seen it yeah. more than I have. Carolina is, uh, they are always susceptible to some sort of possession drought offensively. Oh, yeah. Um, and they did it the other night against Wake Forest. I was listening to Jones Angel and Eric as I was driving back from Greensboro, Charlotte. I heard Jones say, you know, Carolina scored on four of their first six possessions. Now they've only scored on two of their next nine. Well, that's the kind of thing right there that against a, a pretty talented team, if you don't start knocking down long jump shots, you know, you can you can find yourself on the L. And uh, and they'll have to avoid that type of thing Saturday night for sure, but they'll also have to avoid it in Greensboro if you get Florida State, if you get Louisville, if you get as far as the quarterfinals off the Tuesday bid. Um, you know, you can't you can't go in there and have an offensive job, but there'll be bigger concerns if they get to Friday or Thursday. Their bigger concerns on Thursday will be the fact that they played eighty minutes of basketball and who they're playing hasn't played a minute yet. Yeah, that'll that'll be a bigger concern.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um so yeah, I mean obviously, like you said, it lives up to the hype. It really mm-hmm. does. There's just a different feel in both buildings when they play against each other. Um and it's a real thing. And, and you know, I, again, I was eating my words <laughs> after <laughs> after the first one. And I was like, OK, maybe this is a thing. But sometimes we see the second meeting doesn't always have quite the same, um, you know, result or, or quality of play or anything like that. So we'll see. It'll be really interesting to see how both teams play, frankly. Um, and yeah, there are other games on Saturday, of course. Uh, Virginia Tech, Notre Dame. Um, that was close that's close Notre Dame I thought yeah. they had it
0: <laughs> yeah and that's twice they've done at the Florida State so um, you know which is we were, really
1: interesting to me because yeah, that's I, such a good defensive team
0: and it's a weird matchup I mean in watching the game last night I was uh, I was really kind of captivated uh, by two things number one Notre Dame's ability to get shots until they got to the 10 minute mark in the second half right um, and then the other part was just how interesting. Florida State is late in a game when they're making a comeback because, you know, I'm sure, like me, you watched the Louisville game in Tallahassee. Now, yeah. That was at home. But I've seen it now live in Raleigh when they did it to NC State. They used it earlier in the second half. I just mentioned the zone they played. But the one thing now that I've come away with from Florida State, probably just silly for not recognizing this earlier, is the tremendous poise they have as a basketball team uh oh yeah they don't lose composure seemingly now they'll have a bad possession here or there an unforced error from a turnover perspective maybe not a great shot uh, you know mental error that kind of thing but you don't see them for extended periods of time lose their poise um and really i, I gotta be honest with you Lauren, it, it comes from the top i mean what coach Hamilton's yes. done he stands there in South Bend last night, and he's coaching the team, and he's as calm as the waters. I mean, he's just kind of, you know, everything. Stan Jones will say something to him off the bench. Charlton Young will say something to Steve Smith, maybe. Uh, he'll talk to Trent Forrest. And I think, really, the, the secret sauce to Florida State more and more uh, is, there, is the way Trent Forrest has played. Um, yes. It's, it's just amazing, his leadership ability and, and Obviously, the cells had a great year, and MJ Walker and Patrick Williams, and all these kids. But, uh, Florida State's poise is just amazing at this juncture to me.
1: Yeah. And, and Leonard Hamilton, I think it looks like, I mean, you know, you never want to assume anything, but, you know, they're hosting Boston College. Um, and it looks (laughs) like they should win their first regular season crown. And, and I know people look at the regular season different ways, and that's fine. Um, but, he the, that's quite an accomplishment, and especially with this team where they do have some NBA guys, but it's not it's not the types of NBA guys we've seen on some of these past FSU teams that were like no brainer lottery picks. Uh, it, it's just not quite the same mix of guys. It's just the perfect mix of talent and athleticism, and and a guy like Trent Forrest who is such an experienced. You know, heady player and and such a great defender. He, I, I'm still angry he didn't make that all the de- national defensive player of the that's year crazy. finalist list.
0: Yeah, it's, crazy. it's yeah. ridiculous. It's
1: ridiculous. If you want to pick guys from good teams, great. They're a good team. Pick him. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sorry that y'all don't like to watch Florida State or whatever it is, but that's. I mean, you could make a case he's the best defensive player in this league, and I would I would hear you on it.
0: Yeah, no, I think you're I think you're right on track. I think where he is defensively. Uh, in fact, I think you're you know, the, the all defensive team is going to be just as lauded as the first team all ACC will be in this league this year because of D.E. Akite, because of Trent Forrest, because of Trey Jones, uh, Malik know, Jim, Williams. Yeah, Malik Williams. Uh, James Banks at Georgia Tech's had another great year from a defensive perspective. I mean, when you think yeah. about kind of the way they've played here you know, late, while it's been Alvarado and DeVoe and those guys scoring. James Banks has been just you know solid as a rock inside, and some pretty good post players. I, I think the I think the one thing about Florida State, and and you bring up a really good point about there's no Malik Beasley, no Jonathan Isaac, there's not a you know the Wayne Bacon type you know breakout guy. The one guy who has kind of been in the long game, if you will, is a McDonald's All American. That's M.J. Walker. Uh, Yeah. Came highly recruited. He was a player of the year in the state of Georgia. Uh, He and Malik Beasley and, uh, you know, those guys. Jalen Brown was a year or two ahead, I think. But, you know, MJ Walker's been on the scene, but he's always kind of been that, that next cut guy. And the fact that it's been a long, you know, a long game for him in terms of he's not a one and done, he wasn't a two and done guy. And here he is, he hits big shots for him. And in a sneaky way, Florida State's gotten old, right? I mean,
1: yes, I was going to say junior, that. Yeah, Trent
0: Barris the senior. You got uh, really the youngest guy playing meaningful minutes is what Patrick Williams. So um, I look at their Osborne's a transfer, Leonard up off the bench at transfer. So you know, in in some ways, all of us and uh, Mark and I talked about it in the mornings. We we kind of remember Florida State was what preseason pick fifth in this league. I mean. We kind yeah. of just left them at the altar thinking, you know what, ah, you've been to Sweet 16, Elite 8s, yeah, so on, da-da. Yeah, even you'll be okay. You'll night. be decent. Yeah, yeah, you'll be okay. Well, they're, my God, they're better than decent. I mean, yeah. they're the kind of team, I think, that could really ruin somebody's ride here uh, week after next when the NCAA tournament sheet comes out for sure.
1: Yeah, Lenny Lenny, Lenny Ham, which is, I know, <laughs> that's what I call it. Lenny Ham. said it at... <laughs> After the game at Duke, uh, you know, he said we're not as good as we're going to be. And I think we've seen that trajectory go up. And if they can get going even more offensively, um, yeah, the sky's the limit for them, really. And I love them.
0: Well, I'll, yeah, tell, you this, I'll tell you real quick. That when I have Raleigh, <laughs> uh, I go to their shooter around on Saturday morning, and he calls me over. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm, there's no telling where this is going to go. And he goes, hey, do you think we can get the double by?" Then I went, yeah, I think you'd get yeah. the double bye. I think you'll be all right. He said, now what do you think we have to do to get the double bye? I said, well, winning today in Raleigh would certainly not hurt. I said, you know, you got Louisville coming up. That'd be a big game. I said, you know, you might be able to stumble once going down the stretch. Okay, so you think we can get the double bye if we lose one? I said, yeah. He goes, huh, okay. It, it's really important for us to get the double bye. And I'm thinking all along going, coach, If you just stumble once, you might win the regular season, let alone the double bye. And he goes, no, no, I can't worry about the regular season. I'm just thinking about the double bye. I'm thinking probably the But good for him. And again, I think it shows you kind of their approach. And they're, they're, like I said, sneaky old and kind of sneaky nationally in terms of what everybody talks about.
1: Yeah. um, Coach of the year, where are you at on that?
0: Oh, I'm Leonard all the way. I, I think yeah. it is. I think that we've had a lot of interesting discussion. I certainly think there have been moments for Mike Young. I think there've been moments, certainly for uh, Chris Mack. I think there've been moments you know, uh, all over the league of places. But in reality, this is a Leonard Hamilton. Uh, Leonard Hamilton. In fact, I'm I'm of the belief. I, I joked with Mark about this uh, after the show the other day. I I think when we get the results on Monday. Uh, If that's one of the awards we're announcing on our show, I know we're doing all ACC. I'm just not sure about the rest of it. Um, If we get that, then the margin might be wider than I think a lot of people think. Tommy Bennett deserves credit, obviously, but what Leonard Hamilton's done in the first year of 20 games is, is really impressive.
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, I think the only thing that'll make it even a little bit intriguing is if somehow Virginia is able to beat Louisville. But I think for me, it was going to mm-hmm. come down to Tony or Leonard, and if and once Florida State won last night, and sort of, I mean, they have to beat Boston College, obviously, but all but lock that up. Um, I think that's kind of going to be the decider. And um, yeah, I, 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 it's it's Leonard for me too, and I just love him, so it's great the, to is, see.
0: Is this the point where you're allowed to talk about Boston College?
1: Uh, we'll get there because I actually forgot there were Friday games, even though you had just mentioned it. Because um, c- I'm like a little OCD about liking to go in order and we're already all out of order. So that's fine. We can go back to Friday for a hot minute. Well,
0: there, um, there, are, two, there are two Friday games. That both are I know. But the one in Raleigh is maybe now a little more interesting than the one in Clemson, for sure.
1: Yes, uh, for sure it is. Because for a lot of reasons, one being Georgia Tech, you know, declaring itself postseason ineligible earlier this week, which I was a little surprised that they waited this long. Um, I don't know if they were waiting to see, you know, maybe if they could go on a little run, and and I I, I don't know. Um, But I was also surprised when I looked at their roster and saw they only had one senior. I was like, wait, like, of course you have to take the band now. Don't wait till next year.
0: Like, yeah, there's a lot that comes into this, and I think that some of this is Everybody looks at it like you would and say, wait, James Banks is the only senior retangible minutes. Well, sure, you're going to take the postseason. But what you don't want to do if you're Josh Pastor is you don't want to cash out a year like right away. So you have this appeal process. And if you think you've got hope, and let's be honest, in November and December, they're not nearly as entertaining or, you know, as compelling a story as they are now. But when you get to a certain point in the year, eventually you have to weigh the percentages. And had you not taken the ban this year, um, you could have ended up in a situation where not only you lose James Banks, but remember, if you're sanctioned out of the tournament next year, you could have lost Alvarado, DeVoe, Moses Wright, Khalid Moore, um, Ashanti Price, who's a freshman who saw some minutes earlier in the season. I mean, think about it yeah, that, that roster could have been entirely decimated. Uh, after mm-hmm. this year. So I, I think he, you know, with the, the kind of the personality that Josh has, the way the program is kind of going, um, I think they chose the lesser of the two evils and, and took the postseason ban while still appealing the two other sanctions that I think have gotten lost in the weeds on this. And one of them is right. pretty significant. And that's the note. Yeah, the They're recruiting, home, right? Yeah, the home visits during basketball season. They weren't allowed to have any home visits at all during home games this year. Any official business during home games this year or next year. And then the other one is the loss of one scholarship for four years. Yep. Um, So I I think they're going to still try to appeal that and hopefully they get some relief going forward. But, you know, we'll see. They've done a nice job. They're going to have an entertaining team coming back. They've never been terribly deep anyway. Um, And he's got to make sure they get a big in there that can help them and and he knows that. He's, he's well aware of the, the dynamic that they've created. But Alvarado was good and Michael DeVoe was great going down the stretch and Moses Wright is uh, So good. Really, yeah, one of the more impressive uh, and improving players of the league for sure.
1: Yeah, um I, I don't know if, if the coaches have a vote for Coach of the Year, but I feel like Josh Pastner would vote for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> everyone is great. <laughs> it's the best about Josh Pastner. <laughs> Like they, they could blow out a team by like twenty something and even after the game he'll be like just such an amazingly coached team. They were so difficult to play against. And you're like, um were they? Oh, oh are Josh. You, are you
0: saying that like next year he'll open up on a guaranteed game, win by like thirty five or forty two, and you'll get the uh, you'll get the release after the game of his opening statement and it'll tell you how great they were?
1: Oh yeah. That's just the best That's just the best I mean look It's better than the alternative So it's fine Like it's better than him being like This team is trash And I don't like them So uh, (laughs) There are worse things to be Than positive I suppose Uh, Yeah that's an intriguing game to me It obviously doesn't mean much But Clemson's been really good at home Um and what the the factor there and I know you guys have been talking about the glob all year, mm-hmm. but that's where the glob really exists is you got a bunch of teams at nine and ten or ten and nine coming down mm-hmm. the stretch here, including NC State. And that's locally where I'm focused. So, you know, you look at that and if, if Georgia Tech ends up in that glob with everybody else, uh, that's something where tiebreakers could hurt NC State for sure. Um, so maybe they're actually sneakily kind of rooting for. NC, for Georgia Tech to to lose to win and then Clemson to lose, that takes them out of the glob if NC State can win. And then you're probably just dealing with Syracuse and Notre Dame. uh and, Well, no, Syracuse will probably beat Miami at Miami, I would think.
0: Yeah, especially um, if Chris Likes doesn't play. And obviously he got hurt for the second a half last night against Virginia. So if White uh, doesn't play, that's a big loss. for uh, And it was a cut around the eye is what I hear. I don't... I never got any kind of word after the game or earlier this morning, uh, as we record this, about you know where Chris likes his status is for Saturday, which by the way is his senior game four as well.
1: Oh God, no! <laughs> Please, pl- I hope he's okay. That would break my heart. Oh God, and if he doesn't come to Greensboro, oh, I can't even fathom it. Oh, well, Chris i sure Greensboro,
0: whether you will play or not, may the question. I don't know, Lauren. like I said, I think it's, <sighs> you know, we don't know. We don't. I know. Don't don't, don't shed a tear yet for Chris lights. It'll be okay.
1: I mean, I will in Greensboro, though. Um, <laughs> and my goal is to. Everybody's trying to make this happen to like get me to stand close enough to him so we can see who's taller. Um, I'm working Ooh. on
0: it. Ooh. Okay.
1: Right. I'm five. I'm five so. taller than you are Lord? Yes, I agree with that, but I don't think it's by very much. Like, I don't know. I, I think he's like 5'5". Five, five.
0: Okay. <laughs> but we'll see.
1: Okay. I know he's listed at taller, but we're mm-hmm. going to find out. We're okay. going to find out. Right. <laughs> Maybe. I, I want to do this in the least patronizing way possible, which I realize is probably not a thing. Is um, <laughs> this
0: like the time that you and Caroline wanted a picture with someone and you said, Wes, we need a picture with this person? Do you need me to set up you and Chris Lights for a picture?
1: Oh, my gosh. That's the way to do it. I just figured, you know what? Th- that's the way I'm going to have to do it. Yes, we're going to have to take a picture. I do love him. Like, I genuinely love watching him play basketball. And um, I hope we get at least a little bit more of him before, before his senior year wraps up. God, I can't believe he's already gone. We didn't get enough of him. Um, um, <laughs> it's not like half the time with seniors, you're like, oh, that guy's been around forever. But with Chris, it's like, no, I haven't gotten enough of you yet. I need more. And the season's just gone so terribly for them. Um, so yeah, because that's that's the team that Carolina probably needs to to lose. Because that's if they don't want to finish in dead last, um, because they win a tiebreaker with them. Whereas everybody else in that little uh, glob at the bottom there, uh, they have they would lose a tiebreaker against. So
0: including Pittsburgh, amazingly.
1: <laughs> yeah, Pittsburgh with the sweep, a third of their ACC wins. Against North Carolina. (laughs) And well, actually, so yeah, a third against them. Then they have one against Florida State because sure. Right. I guess. (laughs) Uh, Pitt's the only team that's out, that's waiting out this weekend. So uh, we don't have to get into them really but yeah so th- that's why that thir- that Friday night game intrigues me a little bit in Clemson because they played so well at home but it's also mm-hmm. not one of those top teams the teams they lose to at home are teams that like are in the middle of the pack because the season makes no sense
0: and uh, um, don't forget too that Georgia Tech is playing for their first winning record in ACC play since 2004
1: that is just wild that's wild to me by the it's... way if they lose
0: they'll be 500 for the first time since 2007
1: God oh wow and I know they have double-digit wins for the first time since I believe it's 96.
0: That's correct. When they uh, went 13-3, and three, which was my first year doing the games, and they went 13-3 really? on the regular season, yeah.
1: That that season was when a young Lauren Brownlow, uh, that was like my first season being fully in from like start to finish because going to the 95 ACC tournament really made me fall in love with basketball mm-hmm. um, in Greensboro. And I watched so much ACC basketball, and I fell in love with a young Matt Harpring. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Matt Harper, and there you go.
1: Very handsome for the '90s. The, <laughs> he, his handsomeness didn't age well. Like that's that's somebody that people look back at now and they're like, "You thought that guy was cute, but like in the '90s, trust me, um, that you was all, you were all about Harp,
0: huh?
1: Oh yeah, and well, I loved his game too. Like well, that's the thing. I I never just thought players were cute without like having a good game as well. I was very okay. principled in that way. Like I loved the way Dante Calabria played too, and obviously well, I thought he was well, very well handsome. Well now,
0: well, well, well. <laughs> Dante Calabria, the lady's choice.
1: Yes. Sneaky good rebounder, <laughs> passer,
0: yeah.
1: scrappy defender, great shooter, obviously, yeah. and extremely hairy arms. But that's neither <laughs> 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 No, seriously, like, look at it. A- it's wild. Like, his lower arms are just, like, covered in, like, bear hair. Okay. But I, st- I still thought he was okay. very handsome.
0: I'll, I'll just um, take your word for it. Yes, on. that's probably okay. that's
1: probably for the best. Thanks. Uh, yeah, yeah. You've got Wake at State. We've already touched a good amount on that game. Um, I still think State, assuming that they win, which I realize is quite the assumption, um, mm-hmm. is it is in is in pretty decent shape um, for the NCAA tournament. They'll obviously have to do something in Greensboro, and that's why I think they might want to avoid the 8-9 game because I think the 9 is probably going to be Boston College and you're not going to get credit for beating them from a net perspective and then if you go play the 1 depending on who that 1 is and then you lose I don't know that you get a lot of credit there either
0: um, yeah I think that if you're and I said this kind of earlier in the week I think you just got to focus on winning yeah Because at this point, you've had, a little bit like Clemson, you've had some great wins and you've had some head-scratchers. I mean, you've had some where you just go, what? Um, But I would like to see them just kind of develop a game-to-game kind of consistency if nothing else about who they are. Um, Obviously, they tend to go as Markel Johnson goes, which is... Uh, But yet, Devin Daniels has really good games. CJ Bryce has shown moments since coming back from his concussions. And look, they're too talented to be left out. But I do believe that they can beat Wake Forest, win Wednesday, and then maybe sneak in Friday with the Thursday win, Lauren. You got to remember now the back end of this NCAA tournament bracket, no matter what any of these bracketology guys tell you, the back end of the tournament is always a bit of a crapshoot to me. And. NC State has to look at other tournaments, too. Now, their fans and and people can look at those. The players and coaches just need to go play. But if you're an NC State fan, you keep an eye on the American. You keep an eye on uh, the WAC, the West Coast, the Mountain West. I mean, what you don't need is somebody coming from the middle of one of those leagues and winning the tournament because that, that could take you right out of town. And I think that if NC State wins two, maybe three, and things go according to the script, yeah, I, I think they still got a chance. But, you know, just, just focus on what you do right now for Kevin Keats and his team. And, and so far, he's done a good job with that. Um, now, he's quick to tell you we had five quad one wins, and now they only have four because UNCG came out of the top 50. But I still think that if they can lock it down and, you know, win two in Greensboro, They're going to have a chance. They'll have a real chance to get in the tournament. Now, it might be a date, but but they'll still have a real good chance, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, they've really... Their non-con was much better this year. Mm -hmm. Um, It's top 100. I think it's like in the 80s, which is really solid. Um, And... They actually Georgia Tech moved up a quad last night. So that helps them a lot, too, if they can maintain that. So, yeah, even more reason to root for Georgia Tech um, uh, on Saturday, if you're an NC State or on Friday, if you're an NC State fan uh, looking at that game, because that would help you even more if they can stay quad two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I think that eliminated any quad three losses that they had, except for maybe North Carolina. I don't know if North Carolina is still a quad three loss. Um, They probably is at home. Yeah. That's probably a quad three loss, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I mean, they've, I just feel like they've done enough and I know uh, coach K talked about this the other night after, after the NC state game, there are a, a lot of teams. NC state isn't one of them, but the 20 game schedule made for some tough scheduling decisions for a lot of ACC teams. And um I don't know if it was as much that for me when I was looking at the scheduling, except for maybe Notre Dame's non-conference, which was awful. Um, it, it, as much as what they did against it, you know, and and the fact that when they got into league play, mm-hmm. they suddenly were you know able to beat teams, and they didn't beat teams in the non-con. I think it took a lot of ACC teams time to sort of come into their own, whereas I think Big Ten teams were able to get a few wins here and there in their non-con to maybe inflate the perception. Of where they were, whereas ACC teams, I think, took a little longer to sort of figure themselves out, had some injuries early that really impacted a lot of teams like Alvarado at Georgia Tech, like Mm -hmm. Popovich at uh, Boston College. Um, And, you know, with Clemson, they were dealing with some stuff, too, but they went one and four against quad one and two in the non-con like that's Mm -hmm. so for them to get into league play and start beating people, even bubble teams. You know that's not—it's not the best thing for the league. It's good for Clemson, but
0: right. no, I think your point, and, and again, I think it goes back to some of the—you know—just some of the pillars of what this season was. I mean, thirteen of the fifteen All ACC players were gone. You're playing twenty games. You're starting with conference games. There was just so many different little—you know—rubs to this particular season of ACC basketball that I think at times were very hard to digest. Uh, you really had a hard time processing them. And I think what's ultimately going to happen in this is going to be very, very interesting because how will that change as we move to years two and three? I mean, I'm of the belief that 2020 and 2021 are going to be a really good basketball season in this league. I think a lot of the the kids will be back. Uh, I don't think we'll have as much of an exodus, certainly as we had last year and uh, i think more
1: talented class coming in absolutely
0: and i think what you're going to ultimately see is you're going to see a much better brand top to bottom because i i think the fact that nobody threw the bagel up there this year or was 2 and 18 or something like that i think that does count people people are talking about well carolina just hasn't had a good year well true to their standard and their expectation but When you look at it, you've seen some teams make some steps forward. Now, let's see what happens in the offseason and the the 60 days after the season ends as to uh, transfer portals and all that and what the respect is to uh, to next year. I think the prospects are quite good right now, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. And I mean, I think in a lot of ways, for whatever reason, it's ended up hurting the ACC. I think that they don't Mm -hmm. have a Northwestern or a Nebraska to beat up on. Because, uh, you know, when you go in with kind of playing teams that look a lot like you and and you can't really benefit yourself by beating them, but they're not horrible, but they're not great. You know, it's just there's a lot of teams like that that you don't get a whole lot of credit for beating. But, you know, it's easy to lose to those teams, too. There's no one to beat up on in this league, um, with the exception of maybe Boston College. But even going to Boston College is just a, a house of horrors for a lot of teams.
0: Well, um, and, and coaches are fiercely, fiercely protective of this league and all of yeah. it, not just the guys at the top who talk about how great the league is because they're winning it. You've got guys in the middle of the league who are talking about how competitive the league is, and we had, uh, you know, with with where the show is, we were able to kind of get some research done on some stats. At one point this year, um, I think about a week ago, the ACC had played almost 30 percent of their games, Lauren, were one possession games in league play. Wow. Yeah, I mean, so so those kinds of things. When you get that down on paper, and you look at the number of five or less or overtime games, um, if you look at the uh, you look at the way that the road team had like a 50 50 winning percentage early in the year in conference play, all those things. I think uh, kind of showed you that this was a transitional year, for lack of a better term, and what we've come to expect in the ACC.
1: Yeah, Ken Palm tracks this, and only 16 of 143 games have been categorized as blowouts, mm-hmm. which are 19 points or more. Um, that's pretty low. It's 11%. Like, that's pretty low, um, all things considered. So, yeah. And 25.9% of the games have been close. Four points or fewer or OT, so... That's, yeah, I mean, yeah. That's, that's just sort of what it is. You're playing a lot of teams that look like you. And Coach Kaven said, if you change a few possessions here or there for a lot of teams, Ooh. their records look way different. And yeah, Carolina certainly came to mind, but there are plenty of others.
0: Mm-hmm. No question. And I think that's part of the big deal about going from twenty, uh, the 2020 to the 2021 season next year is how much of that experience, like last year, Clemson was on an island with all those close losses, right? And yeah. now everybody has had them. Um, you know, Duke certainly at the top. Virginia has had close losses. They've also had a bundle of close wins. Um, but I uh, I think that's one of the markers in the in the transitional piece of this league is when you look at all the teams that have had close games. I just think that, you know, when every once in a while you'll have a league year where, you know, all the close games fall to the teams that are bad, right? And this year, close games are everywhere. I mean, top to bottom. Yep. It really, It really is interesting.
1: Yeah, no, it really is. And uh, Carolina was on an island in that they uh, blew late leads uh, Mm -hmm. more than anybody, but they've even started to turn that around, and they're holding on to these late leads now, so... Uh, That started to normalize a little bit Because at a certain point it was like Yes, they didn't play well down the stretch of those games But also like there's also bad luck that factors Into a degree because that means your Opponent has to play really well too To make (laughs) up for that deficit And yeah, it was pretty wild The stats were pretty wild for a minute but they've started To sort of even out um, As Carolina's learned to make some plays Late, make some free throws, you know, not turn it over Those Mm -hmm. things that you take for granted until You can't do them that's it. (laughs) uh, Well, let's go through Saturday a little bit more. Um, Yeah, we mentioned Syracuse at Miami, 4 o'clock ACC Network. Have to get that in. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I mean, look, Syracuse should win that game probably even with or without Chris Likes. Miami is definitely a little tougher to play at home. Um, Syracuse, I mean, it's it's sometimes as simple as anything for Syracuse. If they don't make shots, they're not going to beat teams. And when teams are shooting well from three against them, they're usually going to beat them. It's yeah, kind of that simple.
0: It is. And I think the one thing that is frustrating a lot of Orange fans is the inconsistencies really at both ends of the floor. Um, at times, they've seen it just at one end, but not both at the same time. And I think that's something new to this team. Uh, you know, and Elijah Hughes has had a spectacular year. He and Buddy Bam, in particular, I think, have both been really steady for them. But Hughes is... Um, Hughes is capable now. I mean, he's capable of going in any building in the league and getting 35. So, oh, yeah. Um, I think he's going to be interesting Saturday, and I think he's going to be particularly interesting uh, next week in Greensboro. I think he's the kind of guy that could get Syracuse, you know, at least into into another round of play. And, you know, I'm not going to put it beyond him to go get, uh, you may be too young to remember, the the John Gilchrist '04, 4 you know, not only the championship game, but John Gilchrist went off in the semifinals too. So, oh no, I remember that. Yeah. I mean, so anybody to go get it for two nights, Randolph Childress is spectacular in ninety-five because he did it three in a row. But you're talking about Olivier Hanlon. Uh, Olivier Hanlon who went for forty and then turned around went what, what thirty-four the next night, right? Yep, yep. Um, I, I think you're talking about Elijah Hughes could go pull Olivier Hanlon on this event next week in Greensboro and uh, stand the place on its ear for a night or two.
1: Well, that'll just have to counteract the energy of how much his coach dislikes being in Greensboro.
0: (laughs) Lauren, he's only been to one game at one tournament in Greensboro. And by the way, when they land the plane at the Triad International Airport in your hometown this week. Yes. They will be playing in the state of North Carolina for the first time all year.
1: Oh, I guess so. Yeah, that's wild. Like, I, yeah, that's just how the schedule breaks sometimes, mm-hmm. obviously. Yeah. Uh, like like I, I was commenting because Jeff Capel was giving uh, Joe Ovius and I a little bit of grief because they played here three times mm-hmm. and I was at none of them just for various reasons. <laughs> and he's like, what? You don't want to come say hello? And I felt so badly about it. But sorry, I was in Charlottesville last weekend, coach. Um but yeah, it, it's uh, it's crazy how the schedule works out sometimes. But I was joking um, on the last podcast that uh, Jim Beheim should just go to um, the Italian place in Winston Salem that he likes so much. I don't know if you mm-hmm. remember when he had said that that was like oh, one yeah. of the best Italian food places he'd ever eaten at. So it's not it's not a long drive, Jim. Just hop in the, hop in the bus. Go head over there. You know, you could be happy in Greensboro
0: for a little bit. <laughs> you're awesome when you start going down the road on
1: <laughs> listen I, I I do I do like other than the Greensboro stuff because like I can say it because I'm from there but when other people say it I'm like hey Leave us alone. Quit talking um, about my
0: town type thing. Yeah, yeah,
1: okay. yeah, exactly. So, but I do, I have affection for his, like, big curmudgeon energy. I love that about Jim Beheim. I love his dryness and his, like, just general grumpiness. I love everything about it. Um, so I am 100% here for Jimmy Beheim um, And his son, because he has such joy playing basketball, and it's like the opposite of watching his dad, like, on the sidelines, make the grumpy face, and you got Buddy out there smiling, having a good time. It's just fun to watch.
0: Yeah, and I will tell you this: in the uh, the time I've spent around Buddy Beheim, he is a he's really quite a kid. Um, I uh, I really respect his grind, as the kids say these days, um, because he really works hard to be a good basketball player. And you know, when you play for your dad, you're asking for all the problems and all the comparisons and all the scrutiny. Sometimes, right? Um, even when you go in the same business as your dad, you're asking for all of that, but I wouldn't know anything about it. Um, You wouldn't know
1: anything about that. I wouldn't know
0: anything about that. Um, but I I appreciate his attitude and his approach and his competitive nature. And I think the fact that, that Joe Girard is kind of his running mate for the next couple of years. Um, I don't know how this is going to end for Syracuse and I don't know when it's going to end, but I'll say this, they're one of those teams that I think with the way I understand their recruiting class to be built with things like that. Um, they could be very, very interesting to watch next year.
1: Oh yeah. That's good then. Cause I know there was some concern in Syracuse land about like how he's been recruiting and everything mm-hmm. else, but, yeah. but I, I, yeah, they have some good young pieces that are, that have potential certainly to, to get a lot better and, and be a little bit more consistent. Mm-hmm. Gerard has had some really nice moments. Um, but you know, freshman point guard, what are you going to do? Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah so that it'll be fun. Jim and Greensboro is always the best, so I look forward to it. Um, do you think buddy most improved maybe has a case?
0: Um, sure, I think he does i I think there's there's plenty more to look at. I think Olivier Saar and Moses Wright uh present compelling cases. I think Olivier yeah. Saar's case is uh, is pretty strong um, yeah I, just maybe
1: maybe a Devin Daniels in that mix.
0: Yeah, but when you think about what Sar has done, now, granted, he didn't play great in Chapel Hill the other night, but, um... Olivia's, yeah, so, Olivia, fantastic. Yeah, I mean, he's just been... I mean, there's a lot to like. It. And I'm one of those guys that all the coaching rhetoric and conversation aside, I'm, I'm one of those guys that sees Wake Forest as a team that loses Brandon Childers and brings a lot of guys back who have had some success this year in this league. And so, um... I'd be, I'd be interested to know a little bit more about the kids they recruited since I don't follow it um, and kind of how all of that sets up for, for what potentially they could be next year. Because, again, I, I think if I'll use this phrase and I'm going to use it a lot. If kids make good basketball decisions, Wake Forest should come back for the most part with a, with a pretty experienced roster that has some ability and an opportunity maybe to do something.
1: Yeah, uh, Danny, I said it on the last episode too, but Danny's biggest calling card at Wake by far is how well he's developed big men. I mean, it doesn't matter who's come through there or what they looked like when they were young. Mm-hmm. They just, they get so much better under his tutelage. I mean, I did, never thought Doral Moore would turn into what he turned into. And, and you know, Olivier Sar was pretty raw when he got there and, and he's just, he's gotten so much better. And I don't want to give all the credit to Danny. I know the kids have to work hard too, but mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's been fun to watch you know, him and his track record with these guys, um, being able to develop them, that's been a nice thing in, in Winston-Salem. And yep. maybe not everything has gone the way they wanted it to. So yeah, it, it'll it, be interesting.
0: It will be. And like I say, I think Sar, uh you mentioned Daniels, uh, Moses Wright. Um, I mean, you could argue, and this is crazy to say this, but if you look at his offensive numbers, you could throw Diakite into that order, too. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. Diakite was a, uh, uh, what they, there was a term used last year to describe Jack Saul, kind of like a block and shove guy or something like that.
1: Blocker but, mover, he's the blocker. Yeah, I mean, the,
0: <laughs> uh, the, the idea of Diakite a year ago, until he hit that shot against Purdue, you know, I bet people couldn't recall a single shot he hit all year. Um and now he's become, and I asked Tony Bennett this on the show, do you get worried about him drifting out to the three point line? He said, Oh no, that light's greener than you think. And, uh, um, and
1: yeah,
0: 36%. Yeah, well, that's, I, and trust me, that's the biggest shocking statistic for me of any in the ACC is that Mamadi <laughs> DiAquita is shooting 36%. When I'm not sure I saw him shoot the ball from beyond eight feet, Lauren. Yeah, uh, I don't know that I remember many ago. either. Yeah. Tommy. So, I mean, <laughs> But Diakite could also be in the uh, in the discussion if you want to go there. But I think Sar obviously uh, his numbers uh, his numbers have doubled, I think, from a year ago. And, and you just look at kind of his uh, his improvement. Uh, it's got the most improved player, defensive player of the year in the fifth spot on all ACC. I think are the are the things I'm most interested to see next week.
1: Yeah, um, we we can get through Louisville, Virginia quickly. That's ESPN. Uh, it's definitely a super intriguing game for a lot of reasons, although maybe with Florida State winning last night doesn't have quite the significance that mm-hmm. um, it might have if Florida State had stumbled because Virginia, I mean, that was the wild thing last weekend in Charlottesville. It was like this sudden discussion of like, oh my gosh, like it's still on the table, <laughs> you know, for, for them to win the whole thing. Like, oh. And that nobody would have thought that. I don't think anybody was thinking in those terms. And then all of a sudden it was like, whoa, wait a minute. Let's look at our records for a second. Like, we're right there.
0: You know, Virginia, like I said earlier, Florida State's kind of the shame on us type deal for not thinking about Florida State. And in some respects, we all should apologize for maybe casting Virginia November, December off into the abyss, right? Um, Because when we we didn't see them shoot well, we didn't see them score well. Everybody's like, well, that's that's it. Nice job. Won the title. You know, you get the year off type thing. And the last thing that's happened is they, you know, they, they've not cast off. They have decided, and, and rightly so, they've been developed accordingly by a guy who can flat coach, um, that while we're still going to be really, really good on defense, we're also going to be uh, a developing offensive team. And, you know, bless their hearts, they've got a flair for the dramatics, so they're great television. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, they make Dave Kane's job on radio entertaining every night. Um you know, I, I think they're going to be a an incredibly interesting team. Um, we use the term dangerous or scary to describe Carolina and Virginia earlier this week on our show. Um, Virginia to me is scary because they can do it a couple of different ways. Carolina is dangerous just because of the way they're playing. And... Uh, I think Virginia is going to be a factor in Greensboro. In fact, I'm not going to be terribly surprised if they're playing Saturday night, Lauren, for the championship.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't be either. And then it also alternatively would not shock me if they ended up losing a game that we go, wait, how did they lose that game? Just mm-hmm. because they've been playing with fire a little bit. But I think that first game against Louisville seemed to wake them up a little bit offensively. That's when you saw Wolda Tensei really get going from three and and that changes everything about what they do offensively just to open things up. I mean, they, they just needed one guy to start hitting really. Yeah. And and they've been really, really good ever since, or at least much better. And um, it'll be interesting to see if they plays out the same way it did against Louisville, because a lot of us were watching that game and saying, whoa, Virginia, like, what are you doing? You're scoring all mm-hmm. these points and, and things are getting crazy. And um, you know, maybe there's a repeat of that. And um, do we have we heard anything about Malik Williams? Do we know? No.
0: And I'm, I'm going I'm to offer you an analogy on Malik Williams. Um, you remember when Ty Lawson set out the ACC tournament that year? Yeah. Yeah. I, if I'm Chris Mack and I'm just saying this, if Wes is coaching Louisville, I would tell you that I'm not rushing Malik Williams back for the ACC tournament. I want Malik Williams as close to 100%. And if it means he sits this whole week to be there for the NCAA tournament, then that's what I would do. Because I think that that's how big a piece he is to Louisville's end game. Um, You can't ask Stephen Enoch to be what Malik Williams is. I mean, he's probably the sixth man of the year in the league. Uh, When you think about his impact on their team. Uh, The thing I have a bigger concern about with Louisville, Lauren, going to Greensboro is I want to see Louisville and Saturday the the same thing. I want to see Louisville start games better. I mean, I turned on the Virginia Tech game Sunday night and I thought I was going to have to take the parental block off the television to watch the rest of it. I mean, it was (laughs) it was seven minutes in and it was four to two or something like that. I mean, what in the world? I mean. This is yeah, crazy. they didn't start
1: well against North Carolina either, actually, because right. I remember th- I, I saw those numbers and I was like, wait, Carolina's shooting like 16% and they're down by two? What's going and, on?
0: Exactly. And, and that somehow or another is the thing that I'm, I'm seeing most out of Louisville right now. And, you know, you, you and I know this. You get to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament, you get to a Sweet 16 game and you throw a four point performance up there in the first six minutes. Guess what's happening? You're going home. Because yep. you can't recover against really really good teams, and there's some second round draws that would be concerning if uh, if Louisville ends up in that four slot, or you know maybe even if they don't play well in Greensboro and fall to the five line, you could draw yourself an interesting customer in round one with a twelve seed. So I would uh, I would say Louisville needs to polish up the way they get out of the gates. Pardon the uh, derby pun there, but the way they get out of the gates is. Uh, it's probably going to be pretty critical to what they do, not only next week in Greensboro, but certainly the week after.
1: Yeah. No, I'm right there with you. Um, the only other game we haven't really touched on – well, we touched on it – is Florida State hosting Boston College, 430, ACC Network Extra. So that's your regional <laughs> sports networks out there, people. Just look it up online. You can find it um, if you want to. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I only wanted to touch on it because – I want to talk I, I about will, Boston College? Dude – for the the first time I've said that this year, um, <laughs> they, that game against Syracuse, like I'm tracking it as I'm watching Carolina Wake um, on Tuesday night. And I'm just like, Boston College hit a school record number of threes, 19. Mm-hmm. Um They attempted 42. Mm-hmm. They were six of 16 from two. Mm-hmm. And I was almost sad when I saw they attempted a two. I'm like, nope, more threes. Come on. And two of 10 from the foul line, including one of seven in the first half. That is and 18 turnovers to boot. That is a
0: hashtag go ACC.
1: That's I mean, I I do sometimes like nothing for whatever reason. My pet peeve is like when a guard, especially like one of those little guards from like a mid major, they shoot like 40 percent from three and like 57 from the foul line. I'm like, wait a minute. You clearly are a good shooter. Why are you shooting this poorly from the free throw line? This should not be a thing. Like, if you can make a three, you can make a free throw. I wonder sometimes if some teams should just float on out to the three-point line on their free throws. Is that even legal? I'm not sure.
0: Well, two <laughs> things about this. Number one, you're talking about the worst free throw shooting team in the ACC. Yeah. Okay. And it,
1: in a bad free throw shooting year.
0: Right. I mean, we're talking about a team that in conference play is 62.9% of the free throw line. Okay? Ugh, God. Yeah. I mean, they are dead last. They are 15 out of 15. And they are two points, two percentage points behind the 14th place team. So, I mean, it's not like they're in the neighborhood. They're 2% is a big deal this time of year. Here's the other thing, too. Boston College is playing Notre Dame. I mean, uh, Syracuse, who just wants you to shoot threes, right? And if you're not hitting them, it's even better. Well, the other thing is Syracuse is not going to foul. Syracuse only committed 11 fouls, so that's why BC only attempted 10 free throws. By the way, their best free throw shooter did not attempt any free throws, Derek Thornton. Yeah. So, and he fouled out of the game, by the way, in 18 minutes. Wow. Which, by the way, That's... led led them uh, – or no, I'm sorry, he played 31 minutes and fouled out. He fouled out yeah, 80, 18 points. 18 points. Yeah. yeah. But BC was – and this is the other issue Jim Christian's been dealing with. I had him in Winston-Salem against Wake Forest where he wasn't sure. They traveled like Julian Rishwayne was sick. Well, he got sick. He missed the game. Uh, Jarius Hamilton – wasn't gonna tried to practice. Couldn't practice. He ultimately didn't play. He Jared, didn't
1: play uh, the other night either.
0: And neither did Jared Hamilton. I mean, Eesh. yeah, these, they've been hit. They went without Popovich and both Hamiltons the other night. And all you yeah. have to do on the BC stat sheet is you have to look for two names, actually three. You look and see how many minutes that Julian Richwine played. That's the first thing you do. And the second thing you look forward to see if Andrew Kinney got in the ball game. Andrew Kinney is a first-year walk-on from the Pacific Northwest. He played 16 minutes in the Wake Forest game because of illness and injury on the BC. He played three minutes the other night against Syracuse. But the fact that Andrew Kinney played told you that BC was down at least three guys. That's that's how you know. You look at how many Rishway minutes you get and did Andrew Kinney play. And then you know kind yes. of how many guys they had available.
1: Ugh, well – all right, that's that's all the games, but I do want to get you out of here on um, all ACC because I know. Oh. I know that's going to be tough this year. And it really just depends on kind of what you value. Are you an analytics person? The analytics all ACC team is actually not all that different from probably a lot of teams. Ken Palm has Vernon Carey, Jordan Wara, John Mooney, Trey Jones, Elijah Hughes. But I think what that can't factor in as much, and, you know, this is, it's all statistical, obviously, but what that doesn't factor in quite as much is, you know, the impact of a Trent Forrest or even a Devin Vassell at Florida State and, Mm -hmm. and how it's hard to imagine somebody. Gets left off from Florida State, although it could happen. It's happened before.
0: In two thousand eleven, it happened. Carolina won the regular season at twelve and four. Tyler Zeller, John Henson, and Harrison Barnes were the first three players on the second team. Yeah, so yeah, it's happened. That's the last time it's happened. Um, I have here's my battle, and you're going to laugh when I tell you this. And uh oh, Vernon Carey, Trey Jones, John Mooney are easy for me. Elijah Hughes, um, if he finishes strong, I don't have a problem with him being the fourth. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now the fifth becomes the issue here. Um, And Jordan Wara has had moments that are forgettable. Wouldn't you agree?
1: Absolutely. A hundred percent. I think I have seen him in a game. I've watched from start to finish. I think I've seen him play well one time.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and I was at the NC state game in Raleigh and he wasn't very good at all.
1: Nope, he wasn't good at Duke either.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, not good wasn't at Crunchy, good. Not good at nope. Georgia Tech,
1: and I mean he gets he got benched at a certain point because he was just be having such a negative impact on both ends that that Chris Mack had no choice. Now he's been better since then. Um, he's turned it around at least in terms of you know he's not getting benched anymore and he's given the effort they want defensively. But yeah, I mean that's a problem for me.
0: Okay, so here's my question: Jordan Aura. Trent Forrest and Devin Vassell are going to split vote. That's going to be the thing. They're going to split vote. They're going to both, I think, end up on second team. I I agree. What about Mamadi DiAquita?
1: I mean, maybe. Um, Is
0: he the best player on their team? You've seen him live. I haven't seen him live.
1: I see. It's weird for them. For me, I I go so hard for Kihei Clark. I just, I just, I'm not saying first team, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying any of the teams. I'm just saying, I think he's so important to what they do. And now that they're finally got guys that are hitting some shots, um, he, he's just, he's gotten his load lightened a lot. And yet he's still a guy that doesn't mind stepping up and trying to take the shot. If, you know, his teammates seem a little less confident or whatever it is. And and I, I, to me, He's, he's been spectacular for him to have the assist rate that he has, right. considering how few shots that his teammates have been hitting at times. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think they're a team effort in a lot of ways, too. You know, it's, you know, you got to have Braxton Key playing well. He's been a big, important part of what they do. Jay Huff, when he's playing well, is is looks phenomenal. Morcel, um, when he was be, was playing well, has helped a lot. World right. of Tensei when he's hitting, you know. Yeah, I mean, you could make a case for Diakite, especially with his defense. Okay. All right. Um, Just ask. But, All right, you know, it's weird. I'm going to throw another yeah. one at you.
0: What do you do with Garrison Brooks?
1: I don't know. I know. And this that's hard for me because he, I think he's been so spectacular this year almost always, in spite of everything going on around him. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, but, by the way, the
0: precedent there would be your boyfriend, Matt Harper. Oh, of course. Because in 1996, <laughs> 97, Matt Harpering and Georgia Tech, after going 13 and three, finished three and 13, and Matt Harpering was first team All ACC.
1: Yeah, I think. I, I, I look. I have no problem with it with a guy from a team that has a losing. I mean, I I voted for Eric Green back when he won oh, it yeah. because yeah. he was so spectacular. And I mean, talk about an assist rate on a team without any good players. Like it was absurd how efficient he was. All things considered, um, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Garrison is plenty deserving. I just think he won't get a lot of love because of where North Carolina is. But if he's not a solid second teamer, I will not only be stunned, I'll think it's kind of outrageous.
0: Actually, yeah. oh, well, I think what's going to end up happening in this is I think War is going to get it. I think war I, is going to yeah, take I the
1: do first too. Place.
0: But this is the first time when it's first time in recent memory where i can see and maybe since 11 because i remember going through this process in 2011 and it was awful um because you realize that the top five was actually about nine guys and that's where we are now where the second team is actually going to be more like the first team in positions maybe four through ten i mean you have three that are really easy running carry trey jones john mooney um, Elijah Hughes is a a layup for most. But, you know, that fifth and then five leads to six, seven, and eight and potentially nine right behind it. And we haven't had that in a long time here. I mean, we haven't had it as compelling as as it is. But really, that's kind of the league again, the transitional nature of this league, Lauren, I think speaks to the All-ACC ballot as well.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting. Brendan Marks asked me last episode, does Cole Anthony make the freshman team? And I'm not sure.
0: I think Cole Anthony makes the freshman team.
1: There were you know, there was a lot of surprising you know, when I was sort of doing because that was my first reaction, and then I was like, "Well, who do you leave off?
0: <laughs> well, you know I, surprisingly on this, I think you have to look at David Johnson in a different way. If you're putting David Johnson on the ballot, you're speaking to how important David Johnson is to Louisville's overall success because when Jordan Warren wasn't playing well and yeah, he was. was finding ways to win, David Johnson was playing well.
1: Yeah, I think he's – somebody you have to look at, uh, Champagny from Pitt. He's definitely um, going to be on it. Yeah, and Vernon Carey, obviously.
0: Yep. So then
1: that's, that's what I'm saying. Now you start There's to four. get a little bit <laughs> – Yeah, it's tough, man. Like, And he he missed such a big chunk of ACC play. There you go. So we'll see. We shall see. Player of the Year, Vernon Carey? Or who are you thinking?
0: Ooh. Um. Yeah, I think he's really good. I mean, I just – this is going to be interesting because this is going to be the third straight year a freshman is won the player of the year.
1: Yeah, I guess you're right.
0: Yeah. yeah. So we went, uh, we went Marvin Bagley. Uh, we went Zion, and we're going to go Barney Kerr.
1: Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I don't think anybody would argue against it. I think that's probably, yeah. that's probably fine. If you want to vote for John Mooney, I won't begrudge that. No. Yeah. I love so- John. I love John Mooney.
0: Yeah, it's
1: going be interesting. So. Yep. All right, Wes, thanks so much for doing this. I kept you longer than I wanted to, but I appreciate it, as always. And Packer and Durham, every morning on your televisions, people, ACC Network. Oh, that's the last one I was going to ask you. Do you have a favorite ACC Network commercial, or do you see them the way that we do?
0: No, I see them. Um, <laughs> I see them. I kind of, uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a push for me between that uh, tax shield thing you fold down in your car. Oh yeah. So, and you know, one of the first was the cat deal. Um,
1: oh that's or, Caroline Darney's as well. Yeah, the cat well I
0: got Clifford, so you know, um, although I think Clifford would become quickly disinterested in anything that you brought in that, you know, like had stuff pop in and pop out. He played around with it for a while, but he's he's really too cool sometimes for any of that stuff. So I'd go with those he, two.
1: Okay. All right. Thanks so much. And uh, we'll have to do this again sometime.
0: Thanks a lot.